is tremendous. Well, Brother Zimple said that uh, evangelists should waste about 15 minutes chatting with the uh, congregation, so uh, I do have a bunch of jokes I could tell, I suppose, but um, I'm not going to do it. But anyhow, it's a delight to be with you here today. Hope you got that little card right there, 40 contrasts between pride and brokenness. That uh, that'd be a good thing to pray through uh, for the next uh, four years here at Bible College. All right, it'll take you about that long to get to the bottom of this thing called pride, but some contrast here that could help you perhaps to uh, uh, sort out this uh, situation. Now this afternoon, I believe the Lord would have me speak on the subject of the greatest deception. What do you think the greatest deception is? Some people would say, well, it's uh, obviously satanic deception because he, Satan is called a deceiver. Some Muslim a terrorist will kill himself while killing as many people as possible in the hopes of having 72 Vestal virgins when he gets on the other side. You say, that's a tremendous, uh, a tremendous deception, yes, but I don't think it's the greatest deception. Some might say, well, the greatest deception in the world is sin, the deceitfulness of sin, uh, becoming hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That is a tremendous deception. I know a man that... Uh, walked out on his wife and children, and when the pastor went to try to rescue and restore him, he said to the pastor, he said, I have no feelings at all for my wife, therefore I think it's fine for me to take up with another woman. You say, that's a tremendous, awful deception. Yes, it is a tremendous deception, but I don't think that sinful deception is the greatest deception. Some would say, well, the greatest deception is what's happening in society, societal deception. The Bible talks about the spirit of the age. Neville Chamberlain went off to Germany uh, pre-World War II, brought back a worthless document stating that Germany would uh, have no aggressive action toward any other countries, would not invade any other countries, and obviously Chamberlain in England was deceived, a tremendous deception. Now here in the United States, I just came from a meeting where uh, people were sighing a relief that uh, uh, a judgment has been, been averted with the uh, uh, Trumpster in the White House. And per, I shouldn't have said Trumpster. President Trump in the White House. And uh, can I just say something to you? That uh, America has already committed a moral, economic, and judicial suicide. And I want to say that maybe the hand of judgment or the practical implications has been stayed for a while and we can rejoice in that. And I don't know why I put that into this, this point right here, but suffice it to say there's such a thing as societal deception, but that's not the greatest deception. The Bible says, except those days should be shortened, the very elect might be deceived. Well, some would say, well, the greatest deception is the sleight of hand magician who will take a body and apparently saw a person in half. And through sleight of hand and through delusion, uh, the audience is deceived. But I don't think the greatest deception is sleight of hand. I don't believe the greatest deception is societal or sinful or even satanic deception. I think the greatest deception is found in James chapter 1. So I invite your attention uh, this afternoon to James chapter 1 and verse 22. James chapter 1, verse, verse 22. Keep your Bible open. We'll look at some more verses in a moment. James chapter 1 and verse 22. Let's stand together. 
And let's read verse 22 out loud together. Together, please. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Say it again. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, The greatest deception possible is self-deception. And the Bible says right here, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you hear but don't do anything about it, you deceive yourselves. Ten times in the New Testament we are told, be not deceived. Ten times, be not deceived. And if deception were not possible, we wouldn't have ten warnings. But I want to tell you that deception is not only a possibility, it's a probability. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, would you have a word in season for these students this afternoon? And God, come Holy Spirit and talk to every one of our hearts. Lord, at the outset of these meetings, we give you permission uh, to put the plow deep into our hearts and to speak to us and reveal yourself and reveal ourselves, and reveal everything about your truth to our hearts. We give you permission with anticipation, we pray. All God's people, say amen as you're seated. You can be seated. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, this was written to Jewish believers, to the twelve tribes, which are, were scattered abroad. And James exhorts not to be hearers of the word only, because if you do, you deceive yourself. Now, doctrine without application equals a spiritual abortion because the purpose is unrealized. Belief affects behavior, or at least it should. Say that out loud. Belief affects behavior. I was in New York City, got to go to a Jewish synagogue and sat through a three-and-a-half-hour service where a guy with a funny haircut and a shawl on his back uh, stood up and, and, and read in Hebrew and then went over and prayed to a set of commandments, a uh, scroll in the place. You think that some Baptist service is a boring. You have never seen a boring service till you went to a service like this. I couldn't even understand what the guy was saying. And then after three and a half hours, uh, we uh, gathered around the table. I'll not tell you what kind of uh, fermented beverages they had on the table. And after a service like that, I guess they figured they needed a drink. I, I don't know, but uh, uh, they, we gave the other end. And, and, and I went up to the rabbi, and I said to the rabbi, I said, Now look, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But obviously there's no temple, there's no tabernacle, there's no shedding of blood. So how do you suppose people get their sins forgiven uh, without the shedding of blood. And the rabbi said this. He said that reading it in the, in the Bible or in the Torah, reading it is the same thing as doing it. That's what he said. That reading about it is equivalent to doing it. And I thought, man, this guy's halfway to becoming an evangelical already. Uh, to where, where, where doing what you do has got nothing to do with what you read. Now, let me just say this uh, this afternoon, that the danger of deception described here in James is not from Satan. It's not from society. It's not even from sin, but it's from one's own heart. Now, Jeremiah described man's heart as being deceitful above all things. I have a very sober proposition for you this afternoon. Your heart is capable of deceiving you. My heart is capable of deceiving me. Alexander McLaren said, the worse a man is, the less he knows it. 
The worse a man is, the less he knows it. And when it comes to the Word of God, the Bible, it's to be apprehended, it's to be appropriated, it's to be acted upon. I preach over in United Kingdom quite a bit, and one Scottish preacher made this statement. He said, you know, we have, a, we have many sermon tasters. We have many sermon tasters who have never tasted of the grace of God. Many sermon tasters who have never tasted of the great grace of God. My generation has been satisfied to hear a good sermon. The churches where I go, they never would tolerate doctrinal heresy. Uh, you could never get away with it by standing up and saying something that was heretical. And whereas the majority would not tolerate doctrinal heresy, the majority of people in the good churches are satisfied, they're content to hear a message without doing a blooming thing about it. Many churches are set up for the uncommitted. I would say most are set up for the uncommitted. I was in a church one time, and they were having all-member Sunday. All-member Sunday. And I said to the pastor, I said, what is this? He said, we're inviting all our church members to come to church on Sunday. I'm not kidding. And I said, when in the world do you have to have a Sunday to try to get your church members to show up? The Bible nowhere teaches an inactive membership. I mean, it's just not even taught in the Word of God. And the entire New Testament is replete with the emphasis on equipping the saints for ministry. I was in a church, and the pastor told me he had a couple of seminary graduates. Not this seminary, all right, but another cemetery somewhere. Uh, oh, brother. He had two seminary graduates, and they came up and told the pastor, they said, Pastor, we'll not be attending services now, these are guys who wanted churches. These are guys who wanted to be pastors. And they told the pastor, we'll not be attending uh, services except on Sunday morning because we're not getting compensated for it. And I told that pastor, I said, the quicker you get rid of these two deadbeats, the better off you and your church are going to be. Where in the world do we come up with this kind of stuff? And this is a fundamentalist seminary for crying out loud. Call it what you want. I think it's apostasy. But anyhow, hearing without doing is deception. Now I want to give you three, uh, three components re regarding the preached Word of God that you can take these with you the rest of your life. Three components uh, regarding the preached Word of God. First of all, there's instruction. Second, there's revelation. And then third, there's application. Now let's talk about instruction for a moment. Now... We're living in an age when a lot of people are well-taught but under-inspired. And I believe the goal of a cerebral ministry is mental compliance. In other words, uh, mental assent. But look, what you hear in the church house must be practiced in your house. What you hear in the holy place must be lived out in the marketplace. And, 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 and there's more to faith than getting warm bodies to show up on Sunday morning. We have an epidemic of defective consecration, as one man said. Defective consecration. The majority of Christians will never lead a soul to Christ or even try to lead a soul to Christ. And I got, I got news for you. If you don't try, you never will. They say only 10% of Christians have personal devotions. I find that to be fascinating. Only 10% of professing Christians will have personal devotions, defective consecration. Only a small number of heads of households will have family devotions. 
What is going on? Jesus said, my father's house shall be called a house of? How many churches do you know? Most of them are anything but a house of prayer. Now, why defective consecration? Why the lack of doing? Well, tremendous, tremendous instruction. But I'm afraid what we've got here is spiritual inbreeding. Spiritual inbreeding. I mean, we reproduce after our own kind. You know, marrying close kin will produce a distorted offspring. And I want to tell you that if, if, if inbreeding on a physical level produce, produce freaks of nature, spiritual inbreeding will produce freaks of grace. Now listen to me. The Jews went ballistic uh, when they heard the gospel was being offered to the Gentiles. Why? Because it was outside of their box. It was outside their frame of reference. And the Jewish nation missed the biggest thing God had ever done because it went against their religious culture. The Jewish nation was spiritually ingrown. They missed Messiah. They were carrying on for 400 years with no glory over the mercy seat and didn't even know it. And they missed Messiah because he did not come on their terms or in their frame of reference. You know, when God told Abraham to leave, he told him to leave everything that was familiar with him. And I want to say on this spiritual journey that we're all on, you can't go anywhere new without leaving where you are. How many of God's people are locked in to some sort of a time warp or locked into some uh, spiritual culture to the point where they have, they have no ears to hear? There is no openness to be taught. Most people read the Bible not to learn anything new, but only to reinforce what they've already been taught. One preacher said that most people are stamped by the time they're 30. That whatever it is, is what it is. And I want to say this to you. You, you know, we, look, 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 look. You've got to go with the convictions in your heart. But when we hang on the to the traditions of men, rather than go forward in Christ, we're heading in the wrong direction. Now, I'm born, I was born in Virginia. You can probably tell I don't have a Canadian accent, eh? Ah. Uh, and, and, you know, down south, you know what I tell them? I said, look, you might be southern. They like to say I'm southern born and southern bred. And when I'm gone, I'll be southern dead. And I want to tell you, what difference does it make where you were born or what, re or what, what in the world are we talking about? There ain't going to be any rebel flags on your mansion in glory. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> won't be any Canadian flags either. There won't be any flags. <laughs> won't be any flags. What I'm telling you is we've got to grow beyond our boundaries. Now, now, look, I go to churches sometimes where people know what the preacher's going to say before he says it. Like he starts his little slogan, and everybody knows what he's going to say, and, and, and because they've heard it rehashed time and time again. Now, look, if there's no hunger to learn, if the only goal is to have the, our pet beliefs reinforced, and every group has pet beliefs, the same mantras, the same cliches, the same rants. Can I say that if you want to go on with God, you've got to leave your prejudices. And you've got to leave your preferences. And move beyond what is familiar. Listen, it's possible where your knowledge can outdistance your obedience. I heard about a young book salesman. He was uh, all pumped up. You know how they give those motivational talks? Well, they'd have to give me a whole lot of motivational talks to sell books in Wisconsin in January. I'll tell you that right now from door to door. I'm just telling you. I about froze to death out there. But uh, there was this young book salesman. He was assigned to a rural 
rural district, and he, he saw this uh, farmer on the front porch of his house in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth. So the salesman, he was all excited. He approached the farmer with the zeal of a newly trained freshman, and uh, he went up and he said, Sir, I have a book for you. I have a book for you that will tell you how to farm ten times better than you're farming right now. And he kept on talking, and the farmer kept on rocking. And after a few moments, the farmer, he stopped rocking. He looked at the young man and he said, son, I don't need your book. He said, I already know how to farm 10 times better than what I'm doing it now. And I want to say that the answer for most of us here today is not another how-to sermon. Because most of us already know how to do it better than what we're doing it. But let me say this, that instruction is imperative and important, but instruction and knowing what to do is not the whole story. The first component of the ministry of the Word of God is instruction, but the second component is revelation, is revelation. Now, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that he would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What was he praying? He was praying that they would be illuminated, that the eyes of their understanding would be opened, that they would have a revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And when you open the Bible, you've got to ask him to open your heart. Can I say it's the speaking voice of God that will make the difference in anybody's Christian life. It's hearing from the Lord in the quiet place. Now, look right there in James 1, verse 23. Look at this. Verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Now, I got up this morning, rushed into the bathroom there at the hotel, cut on the light, looked in the mirror, and immediately cut the lights off and went back to bed. <laughs> no, that's not what I did. You know what I did? I had to brush my teeth. Say, say amen if you're glad about that. <laughs> I had to shave my face. Amen. Uh, I had to wash my hair. I looked like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm all over. The, I have curly hair. <laughs> and and uh, so I had to comb my hair. I did all of that. But before I went into the, the cleanup routine, I put on my uh, uh, fleece pants. This is a great place for fleece. And uh, I put on my fleece pants. <laughs> I put on my fleece shirt. I put on my overcoat, I put on my beanie French cab driver hat, and made off to Starbucks, amen, and, and, and got a li iced latte, I mean, of all things I got. <laughs> now, you know, it's a good thing I, I covered up before I went out, and, and I, I just want to thank every one of you here today for taking time to fix yourself up a little bit before you came out in public. You know, the older you get, the less you care about personal appearance. <laughs> One time I wasn't feeling so hot, and my son Stephen was still with us in the travel trailer. We were in some church. Well, uh, you know, you get lazy, man. The older you get, you just get, kind of get lazy. So I had, I had my dress shoes, dark socks, <laughs> long gym shorts, <laughs> dress shirt, <laughs> baseball hat. <laughs> and we went out to Walmart. <laughs> And my son is all like, oh. <laughs> I mean, what was wrong with him? 
<laughs> now, the, the point being, I don't make a practice of that. That's the point being is that you got to, when you look in the mirror, you better make haste and fix yourself up because if you don't, you can slip out the door and forget what a disaster you appear to be to all men. And I'm just here to tell you, the Bible says that it's like a guy that looks at his natural face in a mirror. Now look in verse 24. He beholdeth himself, goeth his way, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know why you've got to act? And you've got to, you've got to act on the word of God? Because we have short memories. Short memories. And I'm just here to tell you, if you don't act quickly, you'll soon forget. There's more to preaching than instruction. And I, if I could say this, I believe most churches are little different from the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses in this regard. That everything is in the head and nothing is in the heart. It's all in the head, but there's nothing in the heart. I heard about this circus they were having in China. And uh, they had uh, a ring in the middle of this uh, circus tent, and they had trained a bear and a monkey to ride bicycles. So on this circular track, uh, this monkey was riding a bicycle, and then they had the bear on a bicycle behind the monkey uh, going around in circles on this track. When all of a sudden, the monkey uh, falls off his bike, turns over, the bear runs over the monkey and his bike. He falls off his bike. And the bear, the bear immediately lunged toward the monkey and got the monkey's head in its mouth. Horrified, the trainers jumped off the bench, ran out, grabbed hold of the monkey's legs and tried to dislodge the monkey's head out of the bear's mouth and in the process, decapitated the monkey. <laughs> Not what you take your children and grandchildren to the circus to see. How many of you know you can train a bear and a monkey to ride a bicycle? You can train people to look religious. You can train people to act religious. But Christianity is more than a learned behavior. There's got to be some revelation somewhere. There's got to be this animation. And, and, and look, there's, the goal in preaching is not to get people to come forward. The goal is to get them to go forward. And without the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is no empowerment. Look, where there's no revelation, there's no revolution. That's why all religion has a proneness to externality, which eliminates the, uh, uh, the, the heart of the thing, and it just becomes rote and form and ritual. And listen, uh, there's reasons we do things, but there's got to be revelation. There's got to be heart. There's got to be this power of God. And without this supernatural illumination, all you've got is mental doctrines of facts and figures, mechanical, mental, or entertainment. Look, it's important to believe correctly. Now, it's important to be dependable. It's important to give to the work. But if you never tangibly minister to other people, is this Christianity? Is Checking the blocks. Doing, doing all the, that's expected. No, no, no. Look, you've not really learned the Word of God until you live the Word of God. And every commandment is a promise. And we need revelation. We've got to have the eyes of our understanding opened continually to behold. You know, you can read this book time and time and time again and come up with brand new things you think you've never ever seen before. 
That's just the way it works. What is this? It's the Spirit of God breathing. The psalmist said, quicken me and I shall run the way of thy commandments. Lord, enliven me and then I'll be able to run the way of your commandments. Lord, enliven me and I will obey. Now, I want to tell you this year, you're going to get fresh marching orders from heaven. You're going to get get fresh assignments from God. And and, and God is going to impress you and God's going to stretch you and he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you. And somebody's got a burden to pray for the bus out here and call a prayer meeting. And now look what happens. We get a bus. (laughs) Hope somebody gets a burden for the building over there. Amen. (laughs) Calls a prayer meeting for that. But, but you know, those kind of things, it's this revelation. It's this, it's this rhema word of God. It's God quickening his word to our hearts. So suffice it to say, uh, component number one is instruction. Component number two in the ministry of the word of God is revelation. But very importantly, component number three is application. Say that word out loud. Application. Say it real loud. Application. Now, if we fall short of this, we have missed the whole thing. Be ye doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word. Coming to church to hear without leaving to act is deception. I said coming to church to hear on Sunday morning without leaving to act is deception. It's not just enough to put in time. Not enough to show up for Sunday services. Not enough just to support the church. Not just enough to agree with the content of the message. Your soul is meant to be a channel for truth and not just a sponge. The man who comes to church with no desire to obediently heed the word of God will not hear it correctly. He deceives himself. Half the churches in America now... It's like going to some sort of a seminary lecture. It's like they're talking in a foreign language. Nobody understands what they're talking about. If they understand, they don't, certainly don't do anything about it. And, 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 and listen, listen. God wants us on personal mission. He wants us to get on mission with Him. There's got to be application. Now, look in verse 26. Look at this. If any man among you seem to be religious. I don't even like that word, religious. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, if somebody among you seems to be religious, you know, you, you know they got like a 50-pound Mormon buster Bible that they haul around to all the services, you know. <laughs> and they got that pious look on their face. <laughs> you know, in some quarters, if you even have a smile on your face, you're suspect. <laughs> Can I just tell you that being filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't make you look like you've got indigestion or a migraine headache. I had a man tell me, he said, he said, now, Brother Harold, when we grew up, he was an older guy. And I'm not as old as I look, all right? Uh, he was an older guy, and he said, we were taught it's wrong to show any emotion in church. And boy, he obeyed his parents. <laughs> now, look, 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 look. I know some places it's hotbeds of emotion. But uh, God doesn't want it to be as cold in your heart as it is on the outside up here in Wisconsin. Yeah, 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 yeah. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Now, let's get back to the message. Here in verse 27. Uh, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, notice these three applications. To visit the fatherless. 
fatherless orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Bible is full of applications. And here are three right in the text. Notice the first application is the bridling of the tongue. Bridling of the tongue. You know, you know, you know God gave us two, two fences to hold that little red devil. Teeth and lips. Give us two fences. But that's not enough to keep that little red devil at bay. The Bible says, if any man among you seem to be religious but cannot control his tongue, this man's religion is vain. He's deceived his own heart. You know what a dirt devil is? A dirt devil is a religious individual who can suction up filth on the best of saints. A dirt devil. I hope you don't read slander sheets. I hope, pastors, you will never read a slander sheet that will nitpick the best men of God on the planet because of some preference or something they did that was wrong. You know, what if God called your hand on everything you did that was wrong? A dirt devil. Slandering, criticizing, biting and devour one, one another. One man said, the tongue is never satisfied, it must be crucified. The tongue is never satisfied. It must be crucified. And I want to tell you, who are you to judge another man's servant? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Have you ever read what James said about setting yourself up as a judge rather than a servant? You ever read that? That's in the King James Bible there, brethren. And I want to tell you the reason half the crowd, younger crowd is bailing out of churches is because they're sick and tired of a bunch of grumpy nincompoots who just all they want to do is find fault with everybody under the sun. I'm here to tell you, there's enough error going on in the world. There's enough error going on in my heart on a single day to keep that guy busy from now till eternity. And I'm just here to tell you that God didn't put you here to be a critic. One guy said that where the devil doesn't go personally, he just sends a critic. And the tongue is in a wet place and it's easy for it to slip. Does your tongue ever slip? <laughs> I mean, some of us have very, very slippery tongues. It's like we've got uh, some sort of a silicone <laughs> because it slips and we say things. Oh, brother, if, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is useless. You're deceived. That's what the Word of God says. Well, let's look at another one right here. Uh, visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now, the essence of the law of God is to love God and love people, right? It all comes down to this. Visiting the fatherless and the orphaned. We know a lady, she was a missionary and came home and her husband, missionary husband, decides to leave her with three sick children. One of them now is, I think, 12 years old. She's on a feeding tube. They can't find out what's wrong with her. She uh, probably weighs 65 pounds, 12 years old. And uh, the, one of the boys, he has... He has eye problems. They take him to Philadelphia to that eye hospital, and, and, and he's sick. And the third one has uncontrollable nosebleeds. He's sick. And then she's sick. She's going blind. And nothing's gone right from a human perspective for like 12 years. And you know what the Bible says? Pure religion before God the Father is this, not to write blog articles against some good brother in Christ. I feel strong about this if you can't tell it. And the word of God is stronger than I am. But pure religion is to do what? To visit 
the fatherless, the widows, the lonely, the addicted, the sick, the dying, the oppressed, the imprisoned. <laughs> you know, you know, your misery will become your ministry. And when you get afflicted, you'll have a heart for everybody else that's got the same affliction you've got. And I know some of you can't conceive of ever having an affliction. <laughs> Just hang on. I hope you don't get it, but your chances are you will. And I want to tell you something. When God gives you an affliction, it's good for us that we have been afflicted that we might learn his statutes. And I'll tell you what else. Our empathy is simply feeling another man's pain in your heart. And, and, and the Bible does say, bear ye one another's burdens, but you can't bear another man's burden that you can't feel. You know? And I'll tell you what, when you have a burdened heart, you're not as critical. You just not look at that guy. Deadbeat. And get off your backside and get a job. In the Obama economy? I mean, really? Uh... All I'm saying is this. That um, when your heart is broke, <laughs> you're not so nitpicky. And I'm telling you, when you're in touch with heaven, you get strong promptings to minister to people. You get strong promptings to minister to people. But people who hear the word of God Sunday and don't act on it Monday through Saturday are deceived. We've got information by the mile, application by the inch. You know, you heard some sermons yesterday if you weren't sitting in an airport like some of us. <laughs> and when you hear something in the church, what did you hear what have you done with what you heard? Faith without works is dead. I want to tell you, faith without application is dead. Instruction that reaches no further than the mind is deception. Because there's instruction, there's revelation, there's application. And people whose beliefs don't affect their behavior are deceived. Listen to me. If your theology doesn't lead you to love people, you need to examine your theology. And God didn't foreordain everybody on the planet to go to hell. I know you don't believe this. I don't believe this either. I just don't believe this. What? What? God's glorified through aborted fetuses burning forever? Brother, that sounds like something the devil would come up with. If your theology doesn't lead you to love people, I'm telling you, you need to question your theology. Now, notice this. Visit the fatherless and widows. That's an application. Controlling the tongue. That's an application. But look at this one. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. A.T. Pearson said the church is standing in the world bearing witness to Christ when it should be standing in Christ bearing witness to the world. The church is standing in the world bearing witness to Christ when it should be standing in Christ bearing witness to the world. What does the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, I have faith, and you have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? Big deal. You do well. The devils not only believe, but they tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Listen to me. Faith without works, faith without application is demon faith. Demon faith. 
I got a sermon on demon faith I used to preach. Whew. It would scare me to death. Uh, but you ever read in the New Testament what those demons believe? They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They confess it. I, I, I mean, brother, but they never repent. There's never an application. Now, there's got to be a salvation application here somewhere. Now, look, saved people are not content to hear only. Let me say that again. Saved people are not perfect, but they do try to practice the truth. Saved people can have a relapse, but God always chastens them and brings them back. But church people who are word-hearing and non-doing are not God's people. Faith without works is dead. I know we can stretch the sanctification thing and all of that, but I'm just here to tell you, if there's never any fruit anywhere, there's no root anywhere either. And we've got to, we've got to sort this out. Now, faith without works is dead. We're not talking about sinless perfection. But if you're content with sin, sinful in, imperfection, you might have a problem. Now, belief affects behavior. Listen to me carefully. Everybody struggles against sin. How many of you here know what your primary weakness is? All right. Well, that's a good thing. We know what our primary weakness is. We all have a flesh bent. We all have a tendency in one direction or another, be it self-righteousness or unrighteousness. Now, true Christians can slip into sin, but true Christians have enough conscience that their sin bothers them. We're talking about life patterns. Now, hearers only are content to listen and mark their Bibles, but it's not enough to mark your Bible. Your Bible must mark you. Now, hearers are satisfied with definitions, but doers are concerned with demonstration. And you know, wouldn't it be good if our lives were characterized by holy energy? You know, the goal of preaching is not to make smarter sinners, but Savior lovers. <laughs> you, know, you know, you need to get out of the country. You need to go to another culture. You need to go visit tribal people, poor people, savage people, Hindu people, Muslim people. Just, just, just get out there. And that, that'll break up a lot of this, uh, this uh, preconceived notions. I, I, I'm telling you, and our goal is not to make them smarter sinners, but to make them Savior lovers. Now, my dear brother and my sister, listen to me. It's not enough to believe the Bible. We've got to obey the Bible. You ever read some of those scary verses? Like in Matthew 7, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to them in that day, Lord, didn't I preach and prophesy and give and do many wonderful works in your name? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Listen to this. Therefore, whosoever heareth, hears these sayings of mine, and does them, he's like a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the winds blew, the rains came, and the floods descended, and beat upon the house, and it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. But he that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, a hearer only, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain came, the wind blew, the floods descended, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let me tell you what a wise man is. A wise man is a man who hears the word of God and acts upon it. He builds his house upon the rock. Now, listen to me. 
Nobody is 100% consistent. If you believe that, say it out loud. Nobody is 100% consistent. No, but we're talking about direction. We're talking about the dominating direction of a person's life. That's what we're talking about here. And, and, and when our house is built upon the rock, we hear, but we act. We do something about it. Now, look, Jesus preached no expositional masterpieces. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I won't even listen to a message if it's not exposition. I said, well, goodbye, Peter's 3,000 converting Pentecost salvation sermon. I won't even listen to a message if it's not expositional. Well, goodbye, Sermon on the Mount. They wouldn't even listen to the Son of God. How many of you know the package is not as important as the content? How many of you know that God can anoint somebody that maybe doesn't know homiletics, but they got a touch of God on them? Now, I'm all for preaching uh, what the Bible says and the way it says, and I'm all in. But what I'm saying is this. Jesus spoke the language of the masses with illustrations that they could understand. His, his job was not to impress the Pharisees with his knowledge, but to connect with sinners. And never mistake the exposition of truth for the truth itself. It's a living thing. It's to be applied. Now, a homiletical masterpiece is a disaster if it doesn't move the hearers to action. Our goal is not to get people converted to our pet doctrine. Our goal is to get people connected with Jesus. That's why we're here. There's got to be application. Now look, it's possible to come to church week after week. It's possible to come to church services for years and not hear from God. It's, is it possible to receive instruction without revelation? Yes or no? Is it possible to be a hearer of the word and not a doer? Is it possible we're living in the midst of the most massive deception that there ever was foisted upon the human race? Is it possible that some of, some of us even sitting here are deceived? I want to tell you that hearing the word of God will impact you negatively or positively. When you hear and obey, it's a positive impact. When you hear only, it has a negative impact to the point you deceive your own self. You know, you can get to the point where you think all is well, but it's not. I'm, I'm just here to tell you. You can have your head full and your heart can be empty. It's possible to look in the mirror of the Word of God and walk away and forget what manner of person you are. You know what I found myself, Brother Temple? I preach a lot, of, a lot of times, and I would be over in the church preaching somewhere, and then I'd run back over to the trailer, and in 15 minutes, I'd forgot what I said in the service. I forgot everything I just said. I'm thinking, what? What? <laughs> Must have spiritual Alzheimer's. <laughs> Can't even remember what? What? Now I'm at a point. <sighs> this, might, this might cancel the rest of my speaking engagement here, but I'm at a point where I have to talk to myself. <laughs> I was on vacation. <laughs> I got in front of a mirror. I got disgusted with myself. <laughs> And I looked at my, nobody was in the room, not even my wife. No, no, I, I locked the door so the maid couldn't come in and call for the police. And I, I, looked, I looked in the mirror and I pointed to myself. And I said, what are you doing? Moping around, moaning around, whining around, acting like God is dead. Get up. You think I preach loud to you. 
I really was pouring it on because I had an audience of one who really needed to hear what I had to say. And by the way, David talked to himself when he said, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? What is wrong with you? And, and you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we need to look in the mirror of the word of God. And when it, as it talks to us, we better not be forgetting what it's saying to us lest we walk away and forget what the situation really is. Boy, that rang the bell uh, right there. <laughs> Now look, C.S. Lewis said, if you're stirred and fail to act, there'll come a time when you will be unable to act. If you're continually stirred but fail to act, there'll come a time when you will become spiritually paralyzed. It becomes mechanical, mental, a learned behavior. No life-giving spirit, no animated spirit. Listen, we've got to have, we've got to have that. Now, ministries that major on instruction and neglect application are aiding and abetting deception. I was preaching over in Ireland one time, and, you know, these guys are some of the best homileticians on the planet. I've never heard such, such tremendous, lively, expository preaching. But when it comes to the end, they just cut it off. There's no application. And I'm sitting out there listening to these guys, and I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing after hearing these guys. <laughs> and I told the Lord one time, I said, Lord, if you let me go home, I promise I'll start studying. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I went to a conference one time, and, you know, <laughs> British people are, are non-emotional people. I'm just telling you, they are proper, proper people. And, uh, man, I preached my heart out. <laughs> and yeah, I'm an American. I can't help it. I mean, and uh, I came home. Somebody said, how did it go? I said, I don't have a, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Thousands of people <laughs> over the course of a week. And um, they invited me back, which I was stunned. Well, I went back the next time, and everything was different. They knew me, and uh, they were friendly. And, boy, it was just like a different situation. And, and the leader came up and said, he said, you Americans are a breath of fresh air. I said, really? <laughs> what are you talking about? I knew we couldn't hold a candle to these guys on preaching. He said, you're practical. Well, praise God, we got an ace in the hole there. And that's about the only thing we've got. But, uh, you, know, you know, we can't afford to enable spiritual delinquency. I go to churches, we have prayer summits where we teach through the model prayer and we actually implement about as much as we instruct, which I think is the model. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's invariable, but what a pastor will stand up and say, no, no, hey, bre, bre, bre. if you don't feel com comfortable praying in public, you don't have to pray and he'll ride that horse for about three or four minutes. And I always feel like saying, pastor, please sit down and close your mouth. Now, look, if they've been in the church for two weeks or two months and two years and maybe they don't feel comfortable praying out loud, okay, we'll give them a pass. But if they've been there for 20 and 30 years and can't pray out loud, they need to grow up. And instead, of, instead of, you know, falling back and retreating all the time, why don't we call the troops forward for crying out loud? And, 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 and brethren, listen, we got to refuse the abnormal and, and normalize the normal and get back to normal, which is the spirit-filled life. 
There was a man in New York City who died at age 63, but he never had a job his entire life. He spent his whole life in college. He'd acquired many academic degrees. You say, well, how come this guy went to college his entire life? Well, he was a, when he was a child, there was a wealthy relative who left in his will, naming him as a beneficiary, uh, and it stated in the will that as long as he stayed in school, uh, he would be given money to live on. So this was to be discontinued whenever he finished his education, but he never finished his education. He became a lifelong student, which I know people like that today, except they don't get paid for it. <laughs> he never completed his education. He met the terms of the will, and he remained in school his entire life. Listen to this. He never had a steady earned income. He never lived a productive life. He spent thousands of hours listening to professors and reading books, but he never did anything. He acquired more and more knowledge, but he never put it into practice. And he lived for 63 years an entirely wasted life. A wasted life. And I'm just here to tell you, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hallelujah, you're getting a good education. Some of you are in seminary. Hallelujah. Finish it up, but don't go for 15 more degrees for the next 40 years unless you're going to be a professor in eternity and we're not needed there. <laughs> Is that right, brother? Let's get, let's get on with the program. Let's just, God wants us to act on our assignment. Now, God doesn't want you and I to listen to thousands of sermons and attend thousands of sermons without getting on with the job. You say, what is the job? Let me tell you what the job is. Ministering to people, loving people, helping people, serving people, winning people, discipling people. That is the assignment. Now, look, there are three components to the preached Word of God. There's instruction, then there's revelation, and there's application. I was at a prayer advance one time. I spoke on the subject of vision, vision and mission. And uh, this millennial came up, had that Bernie Sanders look. And uh, <laughs> came, up and <laughs> came up and he said, well, Brother Vaughn, he said, I, I just don't know what my mission is. I don't know what my vision is. I said, well, let's just start with the commandments of God. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore. <laughs> uh, in everything, give thanks. Be filled with the Spirit. Preach the gospel to every creature. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, be, make a, be a disciple and make a disciple. Love your neighbor. Help people. Uh, and, and I told them all of these things. I said, well, why don't you start here? This is your assignment. This is your mission. Start here until you get specific clarification. And you know what the guy said? Put his hands in his pocket and he said, I'll consider it. So I cleared me off a of space, as we say down south. I cleared me off a of space. And I, lay, I laid into that guy, and I said, what do you think? What do you say? What? Are you, what? You're going to consider obeying the Word of God? Who do you think you are? <laughs> he never came back. But uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, I mean, be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Listen, it's not the decision that, may, that, that, that you make. It's the discipline that follows the decision that will change your life. I know some of you are involved in this praying every day for an hour or so. Praise the Lord. 
Listen, like Warren Buffett said, it's not how much you give, it's the practice of saving something from every paycheck that will make the difference in the long run. And when it comes to the spiritual life, it's what you sow into it. It's what you put into it. It's the time you put alone with God and close the door. And we might talk about that here this week. But that is our assignment. Be ye doers of the word. Now, pull out your little three-by-five card, if you would. Your little three-by-five card. Pull it out. Now, here, here's, the, here's the assignment. Here's the application. Uh, what application do you need to make in light of what we've been hearing today? In your quiet time this morning, in Pastor Zimple's message, Pastor Van Geldren's excellent challenge on faith, what, what, what applications do you need to make in light of what you've been hearing? Now, keep this card handy, and every time God prompts your heart with an action point, write it down. Who do you need to witness to? Um... Who do you need to encourage? Every day I'd encourage you to ask God, Lord, who would you have me encourage today? He'll always give you one or two people right off the bat. Lord, who would you have me encourage? Lord, who would you have me to visit? Who would you have me to minister to? Lord, who do I need for, to forgive? Maybe, maybe there's a matter of clearing of the conscience because there's been some things going on in the dark spots and maybe there needs to be some restitution in the light and putting some things right perhaps. Uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, we've heard two or three messages already today. You're going to hear another one tonight. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take 60 seconds and I want, to, I want you to write down some applications of what God would have you to do in light of what we've been hearing, okay? Just take 60 seconds and uh, make some applications. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. God speaks to us as we hear the word of God spoken. When that happens, pull out your little card, write it down, and then act on it at first opportunity. Now, you don't need to pray sometimes for an opportunity. Uh, you just need to go ahead and make the opportunity. I was with a friend of mine one time, and I told him about a case where I had dishonored my father. I deceived my father. I had um, run over his toolbox and so on and so on and so forth, and I never did anything about it. And I said to my friend, I said, hey, would you just pray that God would open the door for me to clear my conscience with my father? And my friend looked me straight in the face and said, Harold, I don't think you need to pray and ask God to open the door. He said, I think you need to go and open the door yourself. You're the one that dis deceived him. <laughs> Dead on. <laughs> So I, I said, okay, and I drove two hours one way from a meeting I was in, and I approached my father, and I told, recreated the whole, he didn't have any idea, so I had to recreate the whole story. <laughs> and I said, Dad, I just drove all this way to come and tell you, I'm sorry for deceiving you and lying to you. It wasn't an overt lie, it was just a deception lie. 
and I, I think he was baffled and puzzled and you know it probably didn't mean a whole lot to him but it meant a whole lot to me and I'm telling you I flew back to the meeting spiritually flew back to the meeting two hours away and if nobody else in the house had revival at least I did because my conscience was cleared because I'd worked on that situation and whatever applications you need to make, do it. Be ye doers of the word. Say that out loud. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many of you wrote down at least one application on your card? Put it up like this right here. Do it, go like this. It's hot up here. All right, and I need, I need to get the air stirred up here. Now, you've got something on your card. Now, God is going to speak to you tonight. He's going to speak to you in the morning when you get in your quiet time. He's going to speak to us through these messages. He's all the time speaking, and I'm telling you, as, as we act upon the Word of God, as we trust and obey, that's how you find peace and joy and happiness. How many of you are going to act on that first thing on your card? Hold it up as a pledge to the Lord right now. You're going to act on it. Okay, great. Hey, hey, go for it. Make a phone call. Make a visit. Have a witness. Encourage somebody. Whatever. God bless you. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Father, thank you for these students in their open, tender, sensitive hearts. God, thank you for what you're doing here in this place. God, thank you for showing yourself strong in some physical manifestations. And our Father, we're asking for even more profound spiritual kingdom manifestation. Father, thank you for giving us instructions and applications. And Father, continue to do so. Bless these young people, O oh God. And Father, may these things that are on these cards be acted upon in a timely way for your namesake, we pray.